a Radio 191 FM podcast. And right now I'm joined by Professor um, Janine Harwood. Good morning to you. Haywood, good morning Haywood. to you. Oh, sorry, no, I'm all over all the good. shop this Thanks. morning. Um, yes, Haywood. Oh, it's, Haywood will run in front of my eye. It's my slight <laughs> dyslexia. Well, not slight, it's actually quite prominent. Um, anyway, you're here to talk about, um, well, I mean, I don't know how I would explain it, but just how New Zealand politics works, the politics of politics in a way, um, how our system works, um, and, yeah, and everything that falls under that general um, title kind of <laughs> and I it guess, shouldn't take long yeah 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 it shouldn't take long. i guess that i mean what is politics if you had to put it into a nutshell how would you, how would you describe politics we always describe it as who gets what when and where so <laughs> it's about power really yeah. who's got it why um and who doesn't have it and why yeah is it about power of the people you know the players in the game the parties or the power of the people all those things yeah it's just about power generally mm-hmm. all right all right what is New Zealand's style of politics that's a really good question it's very parliamentary yeah so um where other countries have all kinds of other systems and processes in place our systems are pretty straightforward and at the heart of them sits our parliament yeah 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 because i mean even britain australia united states um you know the traditional um western allies of aotearoa all their systems completely different from each other they are yeah Yeah. all have evolved in slightly different ways yeah and and, um, i mean We've evolved differently, but we've almost devolved. <laughs> we've kept things nice and simple. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because they were a little bit. We did. We, we used to have two houses of parliament. We did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Up, up until around 1950, I believe. Yeah, 5051, and that um, was proving to be fairly ineffective. So mm-hmm. it kind of um, abolished itself. Yeah. In the end, and since then, we really haven't had any of the you know, what they describe as checks or balances that other countries have. So we don't have an upper house and we don't have a um, written entrenched constitution, which are the two of the other things that uh, our sort of, you know, similar countries in the Commonwealth and other places have. So we are reasonably unique in yeah. our arrangements. So we don't have the checks and balances, but we're it's all relatively civil and calm. Um so they say. It's a, <laughs> it has its moments, wouldn't you say? Yeah, most definitely, most <laughs> definitely, but for the most part. Um, so the Queen is still a representative member in Parliament, right? Yeah, so when, yeah, at certain times, yeah. the, the, the sovereign is included in our system, other times they sort of sit outside it. Yeah, yes. yeah. So the, the Queen is represented and um, the members, are, well, the politicians are in the House of Representatives, which I'm sure a lot of people don't realise that that's what it's called. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. we have all kinds of different names for basically the same group of people doing different things, which can get a bit confusing. <laughs> so we talk about the House of Representatives and Parliament and the Legislature, and they're much the same, mm-hmm. with slightly different composition, and they're doing different jobs when they're called those different things. Now, the Queen's representative is the Governor-General. Indeed. Of course. What does the Governor-General actually do? Um, quite a few things. So there mm-hmm. are some... I mean, most people know the Governor-General for the symbolic things that yep. currently she does um, as a kind of a figurehead, but she also has some very important constitutional roles. So mm-hmm. she does um, oversee a few important decision-making bodies, like our Executive Council, um, and she also has a few really important roles, largely around um, dismissing, um, proroguing, and doing other things with Parliament. Mm-hmm. So not much can happen without the Governor-General's input in a few really important moments. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, those things are done on the advice of other people. Yeah. So it's unusual for the Governor-General to kind of go rogue and act independently on things. Yeah. But there are instances when they can do that. And I guess one of them is, which is relevant to us now, um, after the election, the Governor-General will be called on by some group of MPs with a leader 
to say, and they will say to the Governor-General, we've got the numbers to produce a parliament, and yep. it's then the Governor-General's call about whether or not that person is, you know, that government is sworn in. Wow. So, I mean, essentially the, the Governor-General could hold the country to ransom. I don't know could, why they would do that, yeah, but yes. But, but they could but, say, no, I'm, no I don't, I'm not really into this. Well, and in a funny way, um, so it's we have a really unusual process of government formation, which is why the Governor-General comes under the spotlight a little bit, because mm-hmm. ultimately it is their decision as to whether to take that step to you know, make that parliament, um, that government official. Yeah. Um, and they've made it quite clear that they need um, a couple of things to do that. They need to make sure that the whoever's saying they're going to form a government has got the numbers to do it yep. so they can count up and get a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and also that all of those parties are making really public statements about their support for that government. So if yep. the Governor-General thinks that it's not looking like a stable kind of arrangement, they can... You know, question that further and yeah. seek some more information, and yeah. So obviously, this is um, important under MMP more than it was under first past the post. Exactly right. Yeah. Because we we elect our parliaments now, not our governments. So we yeah. say who the MPs are, and then we, to a certain extent, stand back and watch them sort themselves out into yeah. a group that can form a majority. So I mean, if you typically, if you had enough smaller parties that could get over the line, you could form a, a government between you know six, seven parties. And the Governor-General would say, well, actually, two of these parties aren't really going to work with these two parties over here, so no. And if and the Governor-General would, wouldn't intervene in that, mm-hmm. um, but would expect those parties, as I said, to make public statements about their support. So yeah. even if it was five or six parties banding together, even to outnumber one major party, mm-hmm. that would be possible as a government formation, as long as they had the numbers to do it, and all of those parties were publicly stating their support for that arrangement, and that satisfied the Governor-General. Interesting. Interesting. Now, we're a unitary parliamentary democracy. What does that mean? It means that we've got just that one um, house, mm-hmm. so we don't have an upper chamber. And it means that our system's parliamentary, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. It's very simple. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the clues in the title. Yeah, totally. It <laughs> totally is. Um, and we don't have, you mentioned it before, we don't really have a constitution, but we have a bunch of different documents that kind of come together to f- loosely form something like a constitution. We have a constitutional act. Yeah, so we, we definitely have a constitution, because otherwise we wouldn't function as a nation. Mm. So we've got all the bits that you need. Yeah. Um, you know, all the rules about how things work and what our institutions are and how decisions are made and who has what power and doesn't. So all of that's there. Um, Unlike other countries, it's not all in one place. Not all countries have it all in one place, but it's not in one place. And I guess more importantly, it's not entrenched, which means most of our laws can get changed by just a majority of MPs in Parliament, which is quite different from other countries. There's only a couple others like that. 75% or so, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, the United States can do that. They can amend their constitution. Yes, they can. It's really hard to do. Um, yeah. Countries with entrenched constitutions have all kinds of provisions in place to mm-hmm. make it, and not just a majority in a house. They'll often have um, you know, steps in place about the number of provinces or states that need to be in agreement and a basis of the population generally. So there's all kinds of ways that you can protect those things that are considered to be constitutional. So we don't have that. Even our Bill of Rights isn't entrenched, so yeah. our Parliament could change anything about our rights by just a simple majority, even our electoral rights. Ah. So, um, so you know, again, we're fairly unique with um, our trust in our yes. elected representatives, yeah. which is why our elections matter, which is why everyone should be voting. That's right. <laughs> well, I, 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 probably most people don't know that. So they, they don't know that they're giving that much trust over to them. We give, we give so much trust yeah. and power to our elected representatives. They are really it. And we... 
unlike other countries which have very powerful courts that can tell Parliament what to do, mm-hmm. we don't have that here. So we say we, we trust our elected representatives. And, you know, to be fair, we've put a huge amount of not just changing to MMP, but other we've got other kinds of institutions and um, processes in place that mean that um, we have fairly good, robust elections. You know, mm-hmm. we're fairly internationally highly regarded for our free and fair elections, yes. and so we should be, given how powerful our MPs are. Um, Bills, have you ever seen the biscuit tin? And where did it come from? <laughs> I have not seen the biscuit tin, <laughs> but I have heard about it. It yeah, does yeah. exist. Yes, it, it is does still exist. Thing. Yes. Do you know where it came from? Well, I presume, you know, that sometime they were looking for something to throw the private member bills in and... Somebody had a biscuit tin handy. Yeah. I don't know how long it's been around for, but it's but it's a very uh, it's quite a Kiwi way to do it. Right? It's really <laughs> Kiwi. Um, so I mean, you know, how does a bill work from from kind of woe to to go? So it's basically somebody has an idea, right? So normally it's the government has an idea, and one of the ministers will propose um, a, 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 how to make this idea a thing. Yeah. Now, not all ideas need to be law. Some of them can just happen as policy. So, mm-hmm. some, you know, they'll just say to their ministry, could you just make this happen? But in, in a lot of cases, you need to have a law to make a good idea work or happen. So a minister generally will have an idea about how to change, say, education or housing, and they will propose a bill, which is um, like a you know a piece of legislation in the making. Yeah. And that will work its way through Parliament, gets three votes, and has various moments of broader discussion. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the main things, um, the most important bits in our process, is the select committee process, which occurs in between um, readings of that bill. So that's the opportunity for you and me and everybody else to say what we think of that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are a little bit cynical sometimes about that process and say, ah, it doesn't really do much, it doesn't change much. But actually, because of the configuration of select committees, so they're about, there's about 12 of them and they have a range of MPs. Um, on them, and ministers aren't allowed to chair them, so yep. you don't get the big heavy hitters in there, um, just pushing the you know pushing the idea through. It actually is a, a genuinely good opportunity for New Zealanders to have an input into the legislative process. So it goes through that committee process and through various votes in the House before mm-hmm. it becomes an act, and then the Governor General <laughs> signs it off. Yeah, ultimately it needs that assent. So, so that gives back backbenchers things to do. It does. Yeah. So they chair those select committees, yeah. and that's great experience for them. And they sit on the committees um, and do a lot of really hard work. There's uh, that trust again. Yeah. Um, right, MMP. Why did we decide to change it? Um, things were going a bit wonky for us in the well for a while, but particularly in the 80s. So people have described it as kind of a perfect storm of events. Yeah. We had the Labor government, fourth Labor government, doing quite a lot of really radical changing. Yes. Um, and that was concerning people about how much um, power our elected members had in a way that was very concentrated. So once you had a group of uh, 20 ministers in Cabinet, if they got a good idea, I was just saying to you before about, you know, you have an idea and you it w- winds its way through to become law. Uh, in the 80s um, in particular, any idea that they had, they could pretty much get through Parliament. There really wasn't very much stopping it. So that was concerning people. Um, Robert Muldoon, who most of your listeners won't know, (laughs) who was our Prime Minister um, in the 70s, he, through to 84, he once famously said, I can wake up in the morning, have an idea while I'm having a shave and have it enacted by lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was pretty much like that. So people were worried about that. Um, They were also worried about uh, the fact that 
we'd had a couple of elections where National had lost the popular vote but had got itself elected. So First Past the Post was producing some rogue um, results that people didn't like. It didn't seem fair that mm. a government was getting elected that didn't have majority support. Well, like Social Credit, they were getting big oh numbers. Oh my gosh, Social Credit was getting in the 20s in yeah. its support and its heyday and getting, if it was lucky, one seat, yeah. which is just wrong, right? Yeah, so yeah, that's right. People will, you're looking at it and saying this doesn't seem right. So, And then we had a whole bunch of kind of weird events happen and very, again, Kiwi style, which meant that, um, you know, through kind of a bit of luck, thrown in there. We got a, a Royal Commission and um, then the referendums on it. So we're the only country in the world to have done what we did by changing our electoral system through popular vote, through a mm. referendum. And then, of course, we had another go at it. Yes. <laughs> 2011. Yes. We, just because we, you know, it's not enough just to do it the once. And it's tight. It, it was tight. Yeah. Well, it's always tight. It's always been quite tight. And, um, you know, we know that it kind of is a cyclical thing, depending on how people are feeling about... Um, their satisfaction generally yep. with the electoral system. I would have thought that people would have been happier to have more people represented than 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 not. But I guess more people want their only only Absolutely. their yeah. Well, you know, again, you would, but um, uh, National and Labor still have yes. the, the bulk of the vote, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who find it um, frustrating yeah. if you if you have always been a National or a Labor voter. Um, it's going to be a frustration for you that they have to work in coalition yep. with other parties now, and that um, you know their their policy delivery is changed by that. And the fact that there's a kingmaker now or queenmaker sometimes. You know, I yeah. mean, a lot of national voters at the last election wouldn't yeah. have liked MMP for the fact that they got the popular vote, and then they were out because Winston Peters sided with Labor. Yeah, and that's interesting too because I mean I think what we've learned from seeing that play out. Um, it's not an enviable position for New Zealand First to be in. And Winston Peters knew that when he was back in that position. So mm-hmm. that's gone wrong for him twice now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I don't think it's kingmaker, queenmaker. It's the poor sucker in the middle who tries to work out how to keep their voters happy by finding the best policy fit yeah. either side. And all that really means is that in terms of policy delivery, New Zealand knows that the government that's formed is is supported by the majority of voters. Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, when you think about it in terms of all of us standing along a political spectrum, it seemed odd <coughs> at the last election that National had won the most votes. But the point was they didn't have the majority of votes and their yeah. pol- policy platform didn't su- didn't um, satisfy the majority of you know those policy makers that have been elected to parliament. So um, yeah, I don't. I think it's more of a poison chalice being yeah, that yeah. person well, in the middle. Like frankly, you see, this isn't going to be the first time that perhaps um, New Zealand first disappear. Exactly, after. it's a really tough role to play. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think he's got much time for a comeback after this one. But yeah, you never, never know. know. <laughs> <laughs> it is Winston Peters. Um, who runs an election? The Electoral Commission. Yeah, yeah. So, and that again, you know, that's one of the things that we are admired for. We take it for granted that you've got this orange, neutral organisation, independent of any political party mm-hmm. and independent of um, government to a certain extent, that that um, organises our elections, tells us about our elections, reminds us about our electoral system, tells us how to vote, sets up all <laughs> of the, you know, 
um, how things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that again. That is that's not doesn't happen everywhere. So we are incredibly, and, and that's not luck. That's because we know how important our elections are. That mm-hmm. those kinds of institutions were established. Um, the electoral commission, you know, in the we've had something like it for a while, but in the nineties, kind of emerging out of MMP, that that appeared. Yeah. And that again was on the basis of going overseas and looking at best practice and working out a model that would work well for us. So we're kind of taking bits and pieces from different working models around the world and kind of clunk them all together. Yeah, to a unique arrangement. And I think the other reason that the Electoral Commission is so important for us is because of the referendums that we're voting on this time as well. So again, New Zealanders have had a trusted source of neutral, um, independent information that they can go to for that. And again, you know, countries don't have that. Not all countries have that when they have these... Um, referendums, and we've seen the um, results of that overseas with mm-hmm. you know Brexit and the Scottish vote and other things, where they have to turn um, voters have to turn to the media for some sort of information, and they've found that not to be neutral and trustworthy. So yeah. here we know if you head for purple and orange, you'll get something that is yeah. just facts that have been well vetted and. Um, you can use that as the starting point to understand the issues from. Can any political party use orange as their colour? No. Yeah, I'm that's not banned. To do that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the outdoor party, don't they use orange? Yeah, maybe, yeah I don't know. Mm. Mm. I might have to look into that. <laughs> I've just got a feeling they might do. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, um, they they chalk out the cash too for advertising, right? They've got some responsibilities, yeah, for yeah. working out um, the budget for parties to for their uh, broadcasting ca- for their campaigns. So, yes. but so I mean, if I was a brand new party, and well, let's just say we'll take the outdoor party for 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 instance. So they get the same amount of advertising spend as the Labor Party does from no. no. <laughs> Why? Does that, that doesn't yeah. seem fair. I know. So um, there's a whole there's a whole range of criteria that the Electoral Commission uses to de- to determine how um, how the spending gets allocated, right? Mm-hmm. Because fair is going to look different depending on which party you are. So does fair mean um, whether or not you're currently in Parliament, right? Yeah. Or does it mean um, how big your membership is mm-hmm. or does it mean what your party vote is currently at so if you're in parliament but have got a really low party vote what should your spend be relative to a party that's outside parliament with a really high popular vote mm-hmm. so there's so many different um, things to yeah. you know think about and um, different countries have come to different solutions in terms of funding about what seems fair so the Electoral Commission uses a combination of those things to determine Okay, so we steal other people's ideas again. Uh, I would have thought, you know, it's like trying to go for a job and you can't get that job until you've had yeah. experience. I know. So, you know, I, oh, yeah. Yeah, so how does, a, how does a party get eventually get into Parliament to get more money if they can't get their... Yeah, well, you know, I guess it's through that combination of things that, you know, if you have some percentage of the party vote, you'll get some recognition. That builds to some, you know, perhaps getting into Parliament, which gets you recognition. If you stay there, a combination of those things Mm -hmm. will get you additional recognition. So that will stymie, um, you know, just the average Joe from starting up a party, but it probably works in the favour of the likes of um, uh, Advanced New Zealand, who had Jamie Lee Ross. So he'll get a certain percentage yeah, because and I he's think, in Parliament. And I think it's important, though, to, to keep all of that, because uh, all of those things are true, and it is. Um, uh, there's always ways that we can be debating and thinking about how we uh, try and make the playing field as fair as we can. But I think one of the things that we do do better than other countries 
is trying to limit how much um, you know money involved in, uh, decides our elections. Mm-hmm. So thank goodness we aren't in the business of our candidates needing you know millions of dollars personally or spo- or funded by anonymous people in order to get elected. So we do have um, you know very rigorous and fair rules around that. Um, a lot of people think that they should be stricter. Some people think that they're too strict. Um, yeah. And that, that big parties that do have a lot of backing should be able to benefit from that in order to kind of further their message. But I think it is, you know, I think both those things are true. We've at least got a good general system, but within that system we should always keep questioning yeah. how things are allocated, where the money's going, who's benefiting from that and who isn't. Um, one interesting thing about the Māori seats for me is who can stand? I don't know. Do you have to anyone. be Māori to no, stand? anyone you can know. stand. Yeah. So they're not really Māori seats, they're Māori electorates, so yeah. the, the unique bit about them is the fact that self-identifying Māori can enrol um, to vote on the Māori roll, mm-hmm. but everything else is the same. So it's mm-hmm. just one vote, same party vote, you're voting for an electorate candidate, and anyone can stand. So Pākehā can stand to be elected in the Māori electorates. That is really interesting. Yeah, that yeah. happened. That changed a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, actually, you know, I mean, the thing that, that uh, I could get into quite a lot. I bet you could. I bet <laughs> you could. Of, but I was just going to say, you know, that's why it's frustrating when you hear people talking about um, guaranteeing Māori representation because it doesn't. It guarantees that those electorates get a voice in Parliament. It yeah. is not a safe seat for a Māori MP. You know. Mm. Um, so when people say, oh, um, we should think about MMP, about the Māori electorates, because MMP is producing so many more Māori in Parliament, most of them are coming in off the lists. Yeah. Very few Māori ever get elected in general electorates, and there's no guarantee that it's going to be Māori who are elected in the Māori electorates. So, um, yeah, a lot of misinformation about the Māori electorates. Speaking of the list, how many get in on the list and how many get in through seats? Depends how many get elected on the seats. Yeah. So when you, um, so let's imagine, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. let's imagine that um, thinking of the polls, let's imagine that Labor gets you know forty seven percent of the popular vote on the night. So um, they will get however many MPs they've had elected from the seventy two seats that we've got. Mm-hmm. They'll all get into Parliament and then they get topped up to forty seven percent of Parliament um, from their list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting, uh, and I mean, there's 120 members, but you can get an overhang, right? Can you tell us what yeah, an overhang is? Yeah, you can. So again, because generally the way that Parliament, the the, the number of um, seats that parties get in Parliament is determined by the party vote. So as I said, if Labor gets 47 percent, they'll get 47 percent of the seats. But sometimes an unusual thing can happen that a party, and this has happened in several of our parliaments, that a party will get, say, three candidates elected Mm -hmm. to parliament, but they have got virtually no party vote. So they'll have maybe less than 1% of the party vote. Now, you would normally need about 2.5% of the party vote to get three MPs. So they create kind of an overhang, because we don't say to them, sorry, your MPs can't go to parliament because your party vote's so low. We let their elected MPs take their seats in parliament. Um, obviously they don't get any more because they didn't even have a party vote for those three. But that just means that we expand our house yep. that, for that term by a few members. So we had that for, I think it was three elections in a row, we had one or two additional MPs. So they just put a couple of seats in the aisles? They do, <laughs> and they've got a few spare seats in the yeah. back anyway. But, you know, I think there is a limit to how many seats they can fit in, so yeah. <laughs> we might need to look at the overhang rule. Um, one more thing, because uh, we... Yeah, we're running out of time. Um, 
what determines electoral boundaries? This is big for Otipote at the moment because we had North and South Dunedin and we've had those two uh, seats for a long time uh, and now they've changed to Taere and Dunedin. Yeah, yeah. so um, there have been a few really um, kind of high-profile electoral boundary changes this time. And again, um, good old New Zealand has a really good system for this. So mm-hmm. where other countries leave it to basically political parties to try and... Um, do this kind of gerrymandering of mucking around with boundaries mm, to mm. benefit America. themselves. I was thinking of that. Yeah. Um, again, New Zealand has an independent commission that does that, the Representation Commission. So it has, it does have some MPs as representatives, but they're outnumbered by other people yeah. who um, determine the electoral boundaries, and they do it based on um, geography, you know, geography and proportions of the population. So mm-hmm. we have to have roughly the same number of people in each electorate, voting in each electorate to make it fair. Okay. Um, and yeah. So I see. So Dunedin's population has gone up in recent times. It was fairly stagnant for a long time. That's yeah. why you would have kept the south and the north, Dunedin, yep. south, Dunedin, north. But now that it's gone up, it's probably gone up a little bit more in the north end of town. So they've had to expand the yep. southern it'll be end. A, yep. It'll be a general changing population in this region that has meant that that boundary's changed. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, America, I just feel really sorry for Austin, Texas. Uh, <laughs> I feel sorry for more than just Austin, Texas. Oh, you're totally, but the gerrymandering <laughs> going on in Austin, Texas is atrocious, as yeah. it is in many areas. Yeah. Um, well, brilliant. Well, we'll leave it there um, because it, it's time for me to finish the show. Um, but thank you very much for coming in this morning. I hope Pleasure. our listeners have learnt a thing or two about the New Zealand political system. Thank you. How I hope they all get out and vote now. That's right. If you, haven't, if you haven't done it already get out there I go down on have you voted yet I actually have I've never advance voted before yeah. but I wanted to this time oh you so, wanted to yeah. fair yeah. enough I haven't I go on Saturday yeah it's good for you I like it. yeah I'm like all it. about it I'm all about <laughs> it uh, well thank you so much for coming in this morning it's been pleasure, a pleasure thanks. and thank you to- that was a Radio 1 91 FM podcast you can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found <laughs>